You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, welcome to the Tribal Gathering. How are we doing today? Good. Well, it is awesome to see you today. I want to welcome those of you that are worshiping online in the video cafe and those of you that are here that are uh, what we call our spiritual investigators. You know, when you buy a car, you look up under the hood to check out the car before you buy it. You know, you try it before you buy it. And I think it's wise of you to come here uh, if you're exploring spirituality and Christian spirituality in particular uh, to check out what we're saying here. And, you know, we started last week this series called Emotional Health. You just saw it on the video, Emotional Health and the Demonic. And I know what's going through some of your minds when you see a service title like, you know, Emotional Health and the Demonic. You think, what is this, one of the snake handler churches, you know, or uh, something whack like that? I assure There'll be no snakes in the building today. Um, but in addition to that, you're thinking, what, what are they handling snakes? What are they, you know, putting eggs under the bed, you know, when you got a cold or something like that? Well, it's nothing like any of that. And also, I wanted to give you these caveats to our conversation today is that when we talk about uh, emotional health and the demonic, we're not saying that everybody who has any type of emotional health issue is demon-possessed and requires an exorcism, you know, like one of those movies like Rosemary's Baby or something weird like that. It's not like that, okay? Uh, also, we're not saying that, you know, if you have been prescribed meds that you should just throw them away and pray more. Uh, certainly, there are people that over-medicate. Certainly, we would all be better off if we prayed more. Um, but uh, everybody's story is different, right? But what we are kind of acknowledging here is that there is this connection between our emotional well-being and the demonic. They try and affect the way that you and I feel. And so I really like what the great Oxford scholar and author C.S. Lewis said about how we should view the demonic. Um, He says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And so remember last week, um, we acknowledged that most of the spiritual warfare that we're doing um, is really more in the mind, isn't it? And that's why we said we've got to think about our thinking. Remember what we said last week, that thinking about your thinking is not overthinking. And I've thought about this. Okay, so why don't we say it out loud together? You ready to do that with me? Come on. Now, now some of you, uh, you know, every once in a while, I'll look through the crowd, and some of you are smiling and having a good time with it. Some of you are like, I'm not doing this. Okay, just chill, dude. You look like you got drip, you know, dunked in pickle juice. Okay, let's say this together. Can we do that? Here we go. Ready? Thinking about your thinking is not overthinking. See, that wasn't so bad to say that out loud, was it? And so we got to adjust our thinking today. And what we'll do is we'll start out the teaching time by making some thinking adjustment declarations. And if you're comfortable to do so, put your hand out in a position to receive from the Holy Spirit of God. And when these declarations come up on screen, I want you to say them out loud with me. Here we go. Ready? God is for me, not against me. God has loving motives for me. I'm no longer a victim, but a conqueror. I receive healing in the deepest parts of my soul today. I receive spiritual freedom today. Jesus is awesome. That's the truth, isn't it? Anybody on board with that one? Yeah. So check it out. So as we're thinking about our thinking today, we're going to explore a certain type of thinking. Last week, we looked at accusatory thoughts. This week, we're going to look at bitter thinking, thoughts of 
unforgiveness that get shot into our minds, and sometimes we let them land there and we let them stay. Now, years ago, uh, I was going through a fairly significant depression, and during that time, I went through a lot of extensive counseling recovery process, and uh, on the outer layers of my soul, uh, the the way that these things were manifesting in me were... uh, the depression, I had had a little anxiety, Um, I had a lust struggle that was going on, but these were just on the outer rings, they were just symptoms of something deeper that's going on. And so most of the time, a lot of our outward dysfunctional behaviors are really just symptoms of another issue one layer down. And here's what happens, is that if you're dealing with a depression, you oftentimes think that the depression is the thing, but the depression is not the thing. It's caused by something. And for me, it was a deep-rooted bitterness in my heart. It was an unforgiveness. And I was one of those people that I've read the Bible and I know that you're supposed to forgive people and all that kind of stuff. I've read, you know, the Our Father prayer, forgive us this day as we forgive our debt, all this kind of stuff. I knew you're supposed to forgive. I had said the words of forgiveness but for some reason they didn't take. And I had on the next layer down the bitterness and unforgiveness. Now, I could stand up here today because I got, I'm the one with the microphone in the room, and I could tell you all the ways that significant people in my life disappointed me and wounded me and hurt me, and you might feel sorry for me, but one of the things that I've come to terms with in my own personal recovery is that I don't want to dishonor people in my own healing. You follow me? There is an appropriate setting in which all of us should get everything out into the light and talk to other people talk to someone else or maybe a group or a small group or whatever like that about the ways that we've been wounded. But for me, publicly, that's not good because how many of you know there's a fine line between dealing with your junk and dishonoring another human being, oftentimes someone that you love. So we're saying uh, do both, honor others, but also get your junk out and share it with someone uh, who needs to hear it. And, you know, here's the thing about what was going on in my heart is that some of the people who had wounded me, I was bitter at them, but I had done some of the very same things that they had done. And that puts me in a dangerous position, doesn't it? But ultimately, if you look at my heart and my condition in those days, on the outer ring, there were these symptoms like the depression and other stuff. Then the next layer down was the, you know, the bitterness and unforgiveness. But at the core of me, it's always a theological issue. And at the core of your soul, it's always a theological issue, something that I had believed about God. And here's what it was in my heart. Because I had not changed to my own satisfaction, I had not grown and gotten over some of these problems, I believed that God really wouldn't exert his power to change my heart. And you know what that is? That's a questioning of God's motives and his love for me. So ultimately, I was questioning whether or not God really loved me. And I'll tell you what I did during that time. I was going to a Christian psychiatrist. He prescribed me some antidepressants. And this is the part where I'm not telling you you should do this. This is just what I did at that time. And I don't even know if it was the right thing to do, but I'm just telling you what I did, Um, is that since the, the antidepressants didn't help over time, I threw them away. And I chose to lean in to all the pain of what I was going through in the counseling recovery process. And I got to a place over time of healing where now 
I just do my spiritual and emotional oil changes and tune-ups. You know what I'm saying? We talked about last week how it doesn't matter how much you know about cars, you still have to tune up your car and change your oil in your car. And for some of you, today's gonna be a spiritual and emotional oil change. Now, as I was prayerfully considering, I'm saying, Lord, you know, um, I know what you've done in me, but what do you wanna do in our people today? And I had an overwhelming sense that there's a significant number of us in this room, in this service, right now today, those who are watching online and next door in the cafe, who have bitterness, unforgiveness issues towards your mom and your dad. Mom and dad, so throughout the rest of the service, I'd like you to think about everything we're gonna say in light of your relationship to your parents, both your mom and dad. And as we look at this story from the gospels today where Jesus tells a story about forgiveness, um, I want you to think about your relationship to your mom and dad. And Jesus tells us the consequences of unforgiveness in our hearts in this story in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. If you wanna follow along in your physical Bible, phone app Bible, or uh, look on screen, uh, either one is fine. Uh, So this is where Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, question mark? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but how many times? 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And look at this next part. In anger, his master handed him over to the what? Jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister. And what are those last three words? From your heart, from your heart, a deep forgiveness. And do you know, why in my personal story that I was handed over to the torture of depression and other dysfunctional behaviors that I did not want in my life because of a bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart and God was angry with me and he handed me over. And look, 
As soon as I say that, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, man. You guys talk a lot about love and grace of God at this church, and we sing about God's love for us and all that kind of stuff. But if you read the entire Bible, you will see that, yes, God does get angry. There are two parts to God. There's more than two parts to God, but two significant parts are his grace and his justice. God never gets petty anger. It's always righteous indignation or righteous anger when there has been an injustice that has happened. And so uh, some people, they don't really want the real God. They want to create a God in their own mind that's what they want him to be. And so what a lot of people do is create this snuggle bunny care bear God that's just a, a sweet, happy positive thinking kind of guy all the time and never gets mad about sin. Remember last week, we said that thinking about your thinking doesn't mean glossing over our own sin. But look, one of the things that you'll find is that when you come to God and humble yourself to him and repent or turn from your sin and start to obey God, you'll find God waiting with open arms. His ultimate motive for you and I is love and acceptance. He wants us to come to him, right? This is the real God of the Bible. Um, he wants to be kind and gentle to us. But sometimes our action cause the jailers, doesn't it? Some of you perhaps remember a woman named Wanda Holloway of Channel View, Texas, who hired a hitman to murder a cheerleader's mom. It seems that Wanda's daughter was trying out for cheerleading and this other woman's daughter beat out Wanda's daughter at cheerleading tryouts. And so Wanda was so angry, unforgiving, and bitter about it that she hired a hitman to kill the other woman. Well, the hitman turned Wanda into the police and so she went to who? The jailers, didn't she? Because of bitterness in her heart. And to this day, I'm afraid of cheerleader moms. I don't mess with them, man. I just stay right away from them. They scare me to death. But back to Jesus' story for a minute. Peter poses this forgiveness question uh, in this little story. And the question is basically this. Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who has done me wrong? And Peter makes a good suggestion. You know how someone asks a question and then they kind of give you what they think the answer should be? And that's Peter, right? He says, how many times should I forgive someone's done me something wrong? What, Jesus, maybe seven times? Because he's been around Jesus, you know, he's seen that Jesus is a, is a gracious guy, a forgiving kind of person, you know? And so Peter makes the suggestion seven times. And seven is a pretty good answer, you know? Because in that day, it was common practice to forgive someone three times. That's kind of like our day, isn't it? You know, we forgive. It's like baseball. You strike, you get three strikes, and you're out of my life, okay? Three times, and you screwed up too much, you're out. Um, and so Peter's thinking, I'm really giving a gracious answer. It's not just three, it's seven times that I'm going to forgive. And Jesus one-ups him and says, no, it's going to be 77 times. And look, it's not technically, you know, oh, I've checked it off on a spreadsheet 77 times. They screwed up, you know, else all of our kids would be out, wouldn't they, right? <laughs> look, um, but it's like an infinite kind of forgiveness. The number seven in the Bible is a number of completion. And so it's Jesus who says, no, it's, it's like this infinite kind of forgiveness. And then Jesus does this illustration of these two different servants. So what we're going to do for the rest of the Bible study part is we're going to break down the two servants. So servant number one had an unmanageable debt, didn't he? 
the first guy, remember the first guy in the story? I mean, he has this huge debt, and I was studying through it, and I was looking at that. Um, basically, he owed what, what the Bible says, 10,000 talents, which that would have been 11 years of taxes in four of their provinces. That's a lot of money. Can you imagine having to pay the taxes of four provinces over 11 years? So to you and I, that would be like you and I owing the United States national debt. And so look at that number uh, on screen. I brought the, the debt calculator for the United States. And right now it keeps moving, it keeps changing. And right now we're over $22 trillion uh, in debt as America. It's the American way, right? Just more debt. Um, but the servant number one owed the king this unpayable amount of money. Now remember, this is not a servant like a slave, like we think of slaves. He was probably more like a federal employee who was a tax collector. And so when the king came to square accounts with him and this tax collector to pay in his money, um, this was the debt that he owed. And what he did was he realized, hey, this is not just affecting me, but now the king is holding my whole family and gonna sell us all into slavery uh, because of my debt, because of my irresponsibility. And so what he does is he prostrates and so he gets down on his hands and knees on his face before the king and he starts begging for forgiveness. It kind of reminds me of another story where Jesus talked about a tax collector who got down on his hands and knees on his face and beat his chest and said, I'm not worthy to receive your forgiveness. I can't even look up at you. And this guy humbled himself before the king and he said, please, please, please forgive my death. And the king had compassion on the man and showed him mercy and forgave the entire debt. Can you imagine? I mean, it's really hard for you and I to put ourselves in that situation. I mean, he was on the verge of utter ruin and the king all of a sudden just boom, forgives the entire debt. Can you imagine the relief that he felt? It's like if you had this huge unpayable debt and you win several lotteries right in a row and it's like, wow, I'm gonna be able to pay this off. I'm so relieved. You know, that feeling of relief that you have when something gets paid off um, that was so far outside your control. But this is, this is servant number one. He had an unmanageable debt. And at some level, by the way, all of us are servant number one aren't we? Lodge that in your mind while we look at servant number two. Servant number two had a manageable debt, and he represents something else in our lives. Uh, Servant number two was also like a federal employee, probably a tax collector type, and servant number two owed servant number one some money. Uh, it was 100 denarii. 100 denarii represents 100 days wages. And so in our economy today, it would be like someone owing you $18,400 right around there. Now, someone owes you 18 grand? It's significant, isn't it? I mean, how many of you like me would be upset about someone, you know, not paying me back and, you know, owing me, uh, that's, that's a significant amount of money to us, but it's doable, isn't it? Because a lot of people will spend 18 grand on a car. I mean, it's going to take some time to pay it off, but um, it's doable. So it's a manageable debt here. Um, it's a significant amount. And so servant number two over here with this manageable amount, he starts begging for forgiveness from servant number one. But servant number one throws him in jail. He won't even get, it's, it's kind of dumb to me. It's like, how can the guy pay you back if he's in jail, right? It's like at least tell him, hey, let's work out a payment plan. Let's, you know, figure something out here. But he throws him in jail. And let me ask you this in the spiritual realm and the emotional realm and stuff. Just curious, 
Have you ever thrown anyone in spiritual jail? We do that by we won't talk to them. We make passive aggressive jabs at them. And you've known some people, maybe you've done this, you get on the phone and you start calling other relatives in the family and you start telling other relatives in the family what another relative did to you to ruin their reputation. And some people even go as far as to get on their social media and like type out and post the sins of someone else publicly to ruin their reputation. We're trying to put people in jail. But you know, the funny thing about putting other people in jail is what does it do? Puts us in jail, doesn't it? It imprisons us because the king found out and the king always finds out. And the king handed servant number one over to the jailers. And sometimes the jailers in some of your translations of the Bible, it'll be uh, translated the torturers. And you know what they represent? Demonic spirits who torture us because we've given them right to torture us through unforgiveness and bitterness in the, the deep layers of our soul. And here's the question I want to ask you today regarding your parents. What if you are servant number one and your parents are servant number two? And I know thinking about your parents in terms of forgiving them brings up a whole lot of emotions in a lot of us, doesn't it? And some of you are thinking, man, you don't understand what happened and you don't understand what I went through. I know, I know. I also know some men that are constantly bringing up how much smarter they are than their dads and how much more money they make than their dads and how they've got such a better family than their dad was able to create. And if it isn't significant somewhere in the depths of your soul, then why bring it up? And I've met women who would say, you know, uh, I'm just much prettier than my mom and I've got it so much together than my mom and my career so much better than my my mom was. Um, Why is it that we need to bring that up? if it isn't somewhere lodged in the recesses and the depths of our soul. And what I'm saying to you today is that forgiveness is a choice and you will not feel like making that choice. You'll feel the opposite of making that choice because of the severity of the offenses that have happened to you. And look, Forgiveness is a continual choice. It's not a one-time thing. And some of you need a forgiveness tune-up today, don't you? Sure, this is the first time some of you have even thought about doing this, but others of you, like me, you know you're supposed to forgive. You've read scriptures and on, on forgiveness and stuff like that. Um, and, and today is a tune-up for you to say, you know what? I don't want to allow any root of bitterness to grow in the depths of my soul to cause these outer layer problems in my life. And did you know that the biggest barrier to you forgiving today is not your badness, it's actually your goodness. When you think you're so good and worthy to receive God's love because of all the good stuff you've done. And look, remember servant number one? And remember we said that all of us at some level are servant number one, aren't we? When we stand before God. The biggest barrier 
to a lot of people getting right with God is that they think God owes it to them because of the stuff they've done. When the reality of the teaching of the Bible is, is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, you and I, we have fallen short. That's what sin literally means, missing the mark. But here's what people don't get. People say, ah, yeah, nobody's perfect. You don't understand the severity of the situation when you've not met the mark. It is severe. It is owing the national debt to Almighty God. Look, He's perfectly pure, awesome in power, and perfect in loving and holiness. And He cannot have people who've missed the mark into His heaven, into His kingdom, else it pollutes the entire equation. And so what you and I have to come to terms with is it's not just missing the mark. It is, God, I'm not even worthy to, to talk to you. It is beating your chest and saying, look, God, I know you don't owe me the time of day because of my sin. You see why people's goodness can block them from experiencing a connection to God. And what's happening is many are in spiritual prisons due to unforgiveness. And if you'd like to receive forgiveness of a national debt right now, if you have never begun a relationship with God, I want to help you do that right now if you'd like to. And so would you mind to bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And as we go before the Lord in prayer, this is going to be an extensive prayer time, so buckle in. But the first prayer is for those that would like to begin a relationship with Jesus. You've never had that. And you'd like to know him. Just talk to him in your own heart and say, Lord, I know I've sinned. Please forgive me for hurting you with my sin. God, I owe you more than the national debt. Lord, I believe that Jesus was punished in my place on the cross. He was my substitute. And right now, as best I understand, God, I'm receiving your ultimate forgiveness. Father, thank you for answering that prayer and entering many people's lives as their new, gracious, loving, heavenly Father. As we continue in prayer, I want to ask your permission to lead you through a prayer of forgiving your mom and dad. And if you think of some offense or some way that you were wounded by your parents, I want you to just pray this prayer in your own heart, just between you and God. Just say, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I choose to forgive my parents for abandonment, fear, rejection, and a myriad of other issues in life. I now ask you to forgive me for all the resentment, bitterness, and judgment I have uh, that I've had towards them. I cancel all of Satan's power and authority over me in this area because God has forgiven me and I have forgiven my mother and father. God, I'm not justifying any one bad thing that was done to me. I know it was wrong. The adultery was wrong. The theft was wrong. The lying and abuse was wrong. But today, I'm choosing to forgive. 
and the tortures, the jailers have no authority over me. And I pray that in Jesus' name. At this time, I'd like you to think about your moms. Each of you think about your moms. And I've asked my friend Bree to come and stand in for your mom and to say to you what your mom should say to you if she were here today. And so during this time of prayer, as Bree speaks these things into you, you can keep your eyes closed, you can look down, you can look up, whatever you're comfortable. But just picture your mom standing on this stage, speaking directly and singly and individually to you now as Bree speaks. I'm asking forgiveness for the things I've done that hurt you. Please forgive me for not wanting you, for not bonding with you in the womb. Forgive me for conceiving you out of wedlock. It's not your fault. You were not a mistake. I didn't hold you close and speak to you and give you the love you needed for security. Forgive me for being so critical of you, for yelling at you, for saying things that devalued you, and for not telling how valuable you are. I did not nurture you or comfort you or hold you when you hurt. I didn't let you enjoy just being a child I talked to you about things you were not mature enough to handle that made you afraid. Please forgive me for stealing your childhood by not letting you express yourself and for expecting you to take on my responsibilities. I did not protect you from all the fighting and yelling in the home. Will you forgive me? Please forgive me for not stopping the inappropriate spankings or abuse, verbal, physical, or sexual, for not believing you and not protecting you, for not telling you that it was not your fault. It's not your fault. Forgive me for all the ways I was unapproachable or did not listen when you needed to talk to me. I was not there when you came home and you were lonely. I was not there when you were afraid. I did not protect you from bullies. I was controlling to get you to do things my way. Forgive me for controlling your every action and for setting myself up as a God in your life. I always had to be right. Forgive me for not modeling what a godly wife and mother should be, for not letting myself be vulnerable to you. Forgive me for not teaching you how to set appropriate boundaries, how to be emotionally intimate, for not teaching you how to relate to men or women. I ask your forgiveness for all the ways I fell short of nurturing you and not being there for you when you needed me. I was wrong and I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And now I would love to bless you I bless you, my precious child. You are so loved and specially created by God, unique and perfect. I'm so proud of you. I bless the work of your hands, your gifts and abilities. I bless your spirit to know love and give love, to know God intimately, 
to love him intimately and to serve him. I bless your emotions, your relationships with your friends, your spouse and others. I bless your heart that your spouse and friends can safely trust in you. I bless your provision for your family in food, clothing, love, warmth, and understanding. I bless you with an unselfish willingness to share what you have with others. I bless your fear of the Lord to follow his ways and to desire to have order and balance in your life. I bless you with wisdom and strength that comes from God to enable you to respect and honor your spouse and your family. I bless you to prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. I give you life as a mother. I speak life to every cell of your body. I release you to be the man or woman that God intended you to be. And before you were born, God loved you and I love you. I honor you. I praise God for you. I bless you now and forevermore. As we continue, I'd like you to think about your father for just a minute. And uh, I'm going to stand in for your dad today. And I'm going to say some of the things that he should say to you if he were standing here right now. And so, child, I ask for your forgiveness for the things that I've done that hurt you. Please forgive me for not protecting you and making you feel safe, for not showing you respect for your uniqueness, for not giving you the freedom to form your own opinions and express them. Please forgive me for making you feel that you could not live up to my expectations, for not giving you my time and attention, for not remembering those special days like your birthdays, sports games, or other special events, for not providing for you financially. Will you please forgive me for not apologizing to you and admitting when I was wrong, for not keeping my promises to you, for my temper and my anger, for being religious and legalistic. Will you forgive me? for not telling you I love you and hugging you, for speaking harsh words at you like you're stupid, lazy, no good, or a sissy, for not loving your mother and for the physical abuse, for not meeting your mother's needs, for being selfish and manipulative, for not spending time with you and the family, for divorcing your mom and abandoning you, will you forgive me? daughters for not teaching you how to relate to men, sons for not teaching you how to appropriately relate to women, for my silence towards you, for not building you up and encouraging you, for not believing in you, will you forgive me? For showing favoritism among the kids, for embarrassing you in front of others, for not validating your femininity as a daughter, for not validating your masculinity as a son, for not praying for you, for not teaching you about God for not teaching you life skills, will you please forgive me? For not teaching you about godly sexuality, for not practicing unconditional love, for you being conceived out of wedlock, for expecting you to act like an adult and not allowing you to enjoy your childhood. I ask for your forgiveness in all the ways that I was not there for you when you needed me. Will you please forgive me? I'd love to speak a blessing over your life. I bless you, my precious child. You're so loved, specially created by God, unique and perfect. I'm so proud of you. You are the son, the daughter that God delights in, and I have the special privilege to call you my child and to watch you mature 
I speak life into you. May you be filled with the Holy Spirit and prosper. I bless you to be filled with God's desires so that you may please God in all that you are and all that you do. I bless the work of your hands that you will have the blessing of the Lord on everything you set your hand and heart to do. I bless your relationship with your family that joy and peace will fill your lives. I bless your mind and thought processes that you may be blessed with the spirit of wisdom and supernatural revelation from the Lord. I bless your ability to be strong in the Lord, to be a mighty spiritual warrior for God's kingdom. May you walk in the gifts that God has given you to fulfill his plan for you. I love Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.